This is the OTP presented by Farm Bureau Health Plans. Look to the folks at Farm Bureau Health Plans when you need someone who understands the X's and O's of health care coverage. They've been protecting Tennesseans since 1947. I'm Mike Keith, and we're taking a spin around the AFC South as we prepare for the 2021 draft. Our leadoff man is Matt Taylor, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts. Matthew, how are you? I'm good. If I'm the leadoff man, I'm looking to, you know, lay one down the infield, just get on base, maybe draw a walk. So I'm honored to be the leadoff man. There you go, draw a walk, hit by a pitch, whatever you need to do. (laughs) Well played, sir. All right, so the reason we wanted to have you lead off is because the Indianapolis Colts have the pick one in front of the Tennessee Titans, which should make things a little interesting between the two rivals. How do you see the Colts playing the first round, or do they even play the first round this year? No, it's an interesting question. And I think, you know, obviously since Carson Wentz has come into the fold, it makes it a lot more fascinating on what the Colts can do. And they've got some flexibility now. And, you know, the two biggest needs for the Colts, just if you look at them big picture, would be offensive tackle with Anthony Gasanzo deciding to retire. And then you look at defensive end, and Danico Autry is, is down with you guys now there in Tennessee. And I think he's probably one of the most underrated players in the league. As we sit here and talk right now, Justin Houston is still a free agent. So that's a lot of production from last year's sack total and just putting pressure on the quarterback that's not on the roster here at the moment. And the Colts have some young, up-and-coming players, you know, guys they've invested in that they're waiting to kind of turn the corner and – and, and be really productive, like Ben Banigou and Kamoka Ture. But bottom line, the Colts don't have a player on their roster right now that has proven he can go out and get you, you know, 10, 11 sacks in a season. So I would say offensive tackle and, and defensive end got to be the two biggest priorities for the Colts heading into this first round. And you're exactly right. Trading back might be an option as well for Chris Ballard. I mean, that's <laughs> we're not breaking news in terms of what he likes to do and acquire more picks throughout the course of a draft. In fact, he's only he only has six picks going into this draft, which is the fewest amount of picks uh, he's had heading into a draft since he's been the GM of the Colts since 2017. He doesn't have a third-round pick because he had to send that to Philadelphia as part of the Carson Wentz trade. So would not be shocked at all to see him trade back out of that first round knowing, hey, I still got a handful of guys on my board that I think I can get in the second round. You know, maybe there's some day two, day three, you know, steals he has up his sleeve so we'll see but the Colts have some flexibility now and they're not sort of you know backed into a corner like maybe they were at the beginning of the offseason when Philip Rivers decides to retire now you've got uh, have Carson Wentz and you've got some quarterback stability potentially uh, on this franchise. Matt why was Carson Wentz the right choice for the Indianapolis Colts at quarterback? Well they're trying to duplicate what they had last year in Philip Rivers in the sense that you know, Frank Reich has coached a handful of places in the NFL. He's had really good experiences as being a quarterback coach, an offensive coordinator. You know, he knows these guys. So for the second year in a row, they're bringing in a quarterback that he's worked with and has, has had a great deal of experience with. I mean, those guys were together, offensive coordinator and, and quarterback in 2017 with the Eagles. And if Carson Wentz doesn't get hurt that year, he's probably going to be the MVP of the league. He was a 33-touchdown, seven-interception player. But just like Phillip Rivers, you know, last year in 2020, 
the year before with the Chargers, he was coming off a bad season, and everybody was saying, how much does Rivers have left? Is this a good idea? Uh, the same thing applies here with Carson Wentz. Obviously, 2020 was uh, a bad season for him, but most people agree it's a good player having a bad season. This is not, not indicative of the, the type of player he's going to be in the future. So uh, I think it makes a uh, really good uh, sense for the Colts to make this move because they've got really good intel on Carson Wentz, both as a player, as a person, and you know, just speculating here a little bit, maybe he felt like last year he had to shoulder a lot of the responsibility and feel, felt like maybe he had to make a play every single time he touched the ball as his season got worse, as the Eagles season uh, kept going downhill in terms of record. He's not going to have to do that here. He's got pretty good offensive line. He's got Jonathan Taylor, maybe the best young running back into the game, I think has limitless potential. T.Y. Hilton is back. A lot of young playmakers on the outside to throw the ball to, like Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell, if he can come back and, and, and be healthy. So he just has to be himself. He obviously has to make plays. Every quarterback in the NFL has to make a handful of plays every game in order to win. But maybe he doesn't feel like he has the pressure 65, 70 snaps per game like maybe it felt last year in Philadelphia. Are the Colts worried about their secondary, and do you expect that to be an area of emphasis in their draft? Well, they've got Xavier Rhodes back. They have T.J. Carey back. They're still banking on Rocky Steen coming back and having a bounce-back season after what's been a rocky kind of up-and-down freshman and sophomore campaigns in the NFL. But they still like him, and they, they think that they, he can be a core starter for them in the near future, maybe beginning as early as, as next season, because they, they've got the pieces. They've got the two safeties, the young safeties in the back end with Kari Willis and Julian Blackman. Kenny Moore is one of the best nickel corners in the game. So for next year, they really like what they have, but you're exactly right. Long term, that's going to be the question because Rhodes and Carey are back, but they're one-year deals reportedly. So you might be looking for some consistency to pair with Kenny Moore. Hopefully Rocky Seen kind of takes the next step. But no, would not be surprised at all to see the Colts go after a corner, potentially on you know in rounds two, round three, if, if, if there are guys there. And knowing what we know about the cornerback draft class, it is pretty deep, and you can get some pretty good players you know, in the top ten of that position and they might be there, you know, in, in round three, round four to get a pretty good steal on a guy. Matt, with the Colts having good available salary cap room, do you expect them to be very active in the third phase of free agency post-draft in May and June? No, that's, that's a really good question. And I do think the Colts are going to be active in that regard. And they do have the money to spend. They still have a decent amount of salary cap left. And going back to that conversation we had about Justin Houston, he kind of fits – the player mold on why he might be affected by the salary cap going down. He's over the age of 30, only has a handful of years left, and you know teams are kind of waiting to see what his value is on the open market, trying not to overspend for a player that you know has only a handful of years left in the tank. So uh, players like that, you know, also guys on their roster from last year, they're still free agents. Trey Burton, I think he falls into that category as well. And and going to tight end. And we talk about the biggest needs on the team. Don't forget about tight end as well. You know, Trey Burton last year showed flashes of what he could do in the offense, kind of being that versatile piece that they've had under Frank Reich. You know, I go back to Eric Ebron in 2018. He was just such a force inside the red zone. He was a field-stressing tight end. This offense has kind of been at their best when they've had a guy like that. And you go back to 2017 in Philadelphia when Frank Reich was there. He had a 
He had Zach Ertz, that type of guy. So tight ends are a huge part of the Colts' offense. In fact, since Frank's been here since 2018, that position group has over 1,000 receiving yards and 36 touchdowns. Um, so they're still looking for a guy like that. So whether that's Trey Burton later on in free agency or the draft, I uh, wouldn't be surprised uh, to see the Colts you know, use some of that salary cap money at tight end. But no, the Colts, they do a really good job of, of getting banged for their buck in, in free agency. They're prudent. Uh, they kind of stick to their value on players. So we'll see what happens. But um, they've got the money. Uh, but they also know they've got a handful of really key impactful players that they're trying to re-sign and, and, and get, you know, have them stay off the market in free agency in the near future, like Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard and Braden Smith. So they, they, they're, pretty, they're pretty good with their money, and uh, they're going to you know, save some of that for extensions, but then also have a little bit left over in the kitty to get some impactful guys on some pretty you know, team-friendly deals, if you will, later on in free agency in the next couple of months. Pleased to transition next to the voice of the Houston Texans, my friend Mark Vanderbeer. Mark, thanks for joining me. Mike, always a pleasure. Looking forward to the season, as always. It has been an eventful offseason for the Texans in terms of free agent acquisitions. Nick Cesario has been very busy since becoming the GM. What are the ones that you feel like have been the most significant additions to the Texans roster so far? Well, it's really been necessary to overhaul the team. They had a lot of prickly contract situations when you look at what the future was going to be like salary cap-wise and everything. So they had to make a lot of moves. I know everybody's talking about the big story out there. and You know, we don't really address it much because it's a legal matter. But obviously, I think they have to take every single thing into consideration, every possibility here, Mike. And you could tell by the moves they've made that they have because, you know, this is a fluid situation and certain things you just don't know how they're going to play out football-wise. So, you know, I think that adding the running backs they've added has been really significant when you look at Mark Ingram, when you look at Philip Lindsay, and you still have David Johnson aboard. So you have a, a nice three-headed monster there, and who knows what else happens. And then the quarterback situation, Terod Taylor is a really great addition because – you could start him if you have to, obviously, and he's been very good for teams. You know, he doesn't turn the ball over. He's very steady. He's an elder statesman also. He's somebody everyone respects, so that's good. I think the locker room really changes with guys like Ingram and Taylor and even Marcus Cannon, they brought him with a trade with the Patriots. I think Cannon's been definitely uh, one of those key acquisitions, as you pointed out, and also Shaq Lawson on the defensive line. I think he'll be a real big boost for this team, but they have a lot of guys. I mean, dozens of players literally coming into the Houston Texans building. Mark, how do you prepare to cover the 2021 NFL draft when your team does not have a selection until pick number 67 early in the third round? Well, Mike, we have a lot of experience at this. Uh, This is three out of the last four years where the Texans don't have a number one pick and two out of the last four with no first or second. And in fact, a couple of years ago, we did a draft party and we said, let's do it on Friday night because we have no picks on Thursday night. And that's what we did. And it was still a fun party. And that was the year they picked up Justin Reed and two other third rounders. And it really was a pretty good draft for the Texans as it turned out. I think that you just have to look at, look, the the first night is going to be about the league. The second night, the Texans kick in gear. And let's see if Nick makes any moves because one thing about him, I think he's going to be moving and shaking all over the place with this roster. He is nowhere near done. He's an acquisition maker. 
and a trade maker. So I expect him to move up and down that board a bit. Now, it might not be earth-shattering, sports center leading type stuff, but it will be significant as far as the franchise goes. And as you know, you can pick up good players from the third round on down. And if you don't, you're not going to have a good team anyway, no matter who you pick in the first round. So we'll see how it goes. So for us, hey, we have a lot to cover. They have eight picks, and let's see where the chips fall. So your thought process is they could be almost Seattle-like with how they bob and weave in day two and day three. I believe that he could because look, you look at the history with the Patriots. Now, I know he wasn't pulling all the strings with the Patriots, and I think it's, it's interesting. It's really notable to see Casario at work at the helm here because he gets a team. They're in this situation. They're coming off four wins. They've got a lot of, like I said, contract situations they had to deal with right away. They needed to free up cap space, and you see the amount of work he's put in already as the final decision maker. Now we're going to see him operate the draft. And I do believe he will move around quite a bit that he wants to target certain players, but he's not going to give up too much to get those players at the same time. He knows he has a little time to work with, but look, they, everyone calls it a rebuild and look, I get it from the outside looking in. It looks like that, but you know how it is, Mike, you're trying to win every game you play. That's the situation they're in. They want to put the best possible team on the field. I know that sounds cliche, but I believe, they're going to be a little bit better than people think here and let's just see what it all looks like come September how do you believe the Houston Texans will change under their new head coach David Cully you know that's a great question Cully is such a positive guy he's been in my office a couple of times already like my just coming by checking in saying hello sharing some some words of wisdom he is impossible not to like Mike. It's not just positivity, it's energy. And I think he brings that to the table. And I think everyone's going to feed off of that. And the success of the coordinators will largely determine, like with any team, the success of the team. And I believe that having Tim Kelly back is big for the squad with Pep Hamilton, a guy who's got a ton of experience as a quarterback's coach. And then you look at the defensive side of the ball, you have Lovey Smith, who's seen everything in this league and done everything. And there he is coaching the defense. So I like their staff. I love Cully being in charge. You know, I go back to Raymond Berry taking over the Patriots uh, when they were going nowhere with Ron Meyer. They were actually okay, but they made that change. And Berry had never been a coordinator. And Berry leads them to a Super Bowl a year later. And then you look at guys that Cully has worked with, like Andy Reid and John Harbaugh. They weren't coordinators before. They got their head coaching jobs, and it worked out well for them. So I believe it's going to work out well for Cully. He's got the goods to make it work. And the age means nothing to me. That guy's got way more energy than I do, than most 40-year-old guys, most 35-year-old guys. That is not an issue. I think he's going to really bring the heat, and it's going to be good for this squad. Mark Vandermeer, the voice of the Houston Texans, talking with me right now about what's going on with this ball club as we all prepare for the 2021 NFL Draft. Mark, you touched on this a little bit as regards to Texans free agency, but to take it more draft-specific, do you believe the uncertainty around the Deshaun Watson situation will affect the Texans' draft strategy? You know, assuming they don't make any blockbuster deal before the draft, and I would doubt there would be a blockbuster deal, like I said, but I think there will be deals within the draft, as I pointed out. I do think that at some point, uh, you know, Watson or no Watson or whatever happens there, I would think that they would take a quarterback because with the amount of picks they have and just because maybe they'd want to develop a young guy. Now, that could be Ryan Finley who they picked up, but let's just say that I think they might take somebody later on 
you know, as I say that, Mike, you know, it all depends on, you know, who's available. Do they like the guy? Do they really believe in the guy? Or is it just somebody to bring in as a camp arm and let's see if it works out. Let's see if we can, you know, put them on a long-term plan on the practice squad or something. I'm not sure how that's going to go, but I think they feel like they've got stability there with Taylor, but they're definitely going to add somebody, whether it's a free agent or a draft choice. So with the draft coming up, let's just say draft choice. And this is me talking about them, obviously, but it would not shock me at all if they took a quarterback. Finally, Mark, Texans' big needs, in your opinion, heading into the draft? Well, corner, I always look at because I I think that you have to find some talent there to help bolster the situation. They do have a lot of options now. You know, Heading into this offseason, Mike, I was thinking, what are they going to do at that spot? Now, they have a number of guys they could put there. But are they players that can, you know, play here for five years and make Pro Bowls and all of that? Only the coaches and, you know, talent evaluators can answer that as far as what their projections are. But I think that they'll look in the defensive backfield to try to strengthen that. And if they can find a pass rusher or, you know, a hidden talent pass rusher, because, again, they don't pick in the first or second round, that would be an area I would think they would want to explore. You know, a lot of people talk about receiver, but – you know, they've got receivers. The thing is, are they going to be around? You know, they have a pretty good group here still, even with Fuller departing. You know, they still have Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb and Kiki QT looks pretty good at times. And, you know, that's not a bad place to start at all. They picked up Chris Conley. He's got a ton of talent and he could really contribute to this team. So we'll see how it plays out. But one thing that Nick said last week, they're not done and the team's going to look different in August than it does now. And I think he wasn't just talking about who they acquired in the draft and undrafted free agents. I think they're still going to do some moving and shaking with these free agents. Have I said moving and shaking enough? Probably. Mark Vandermeer of the Houston Texans, thanks so much for joining us on the OTP. Presented by Farm Bureau Health Plans. When it comes to your health care coverage, you should be the one to make the call. They've been protecting Tennesseans since 1947. To wrap up this OTP, let's talk Jacksonville Jaguars with the voice of the Jaguars, Frank Frangi. Frank, thanks for taking time. Mike, happy to do it, man. How's everybody in Nashville? Everybody here is interested to see what Jacksonville is going to do in the NFL draft because you are going to be busy, busy, busy. And I guess first and foremost, talk about the energy of Urban Meyer coming in and the addition of Trevor Lawrence and just what those two moves mean to the entire franchise. There's a buzz in town, Mike, as you can imagine. I mean, there truly is. Listen, we're all realists around here. We haven't had a lot of buzzes around here in a while. Right? We we had the special season in 2017 when the team was 10 minutes from a Super Bowl appearance. Other than that, it's 13 losing seasons in the last 14. That's the reality. It has been a tough, at times irrelevant franchise. At times it's felt dysfunctional. It's been a lot of good people. Gus Bradley's as good a man as I've ever known. Doug Marone's a good man. People are trying to get it right. Shad Khan, the owner, is a wonderful guy, and he, and, he, and he wants to be an owner that wins. So no one, no one was trying to get it wrong, but it's been a tough go here. It's been good people that couldn't have the success they wanted for a long time, Mike, and, and now I think there's, there's hope that it's going to change. Now, look, it's just one coach and one quarterback, but it's a coach that everybody talks about, and it's a quarterback that everybody talks about, and I presume they think in which we all think they're going to. So, yeah, I think there's a buzz around here that we haven't had in our city in a long, long time, and that's really exciting. It really is. Trevor Lawrence going to be the pick at number one, hopefully from the Jaguars' perspective, the franchise quarterback. But 
What's really more interesting from the outside, because the Lawrence thing seems to have been settled for quite a while, the Jaguars have picked 25, 33, 45, and 65. I I mean, those are valuable, valuable picks in this draft. What do you think Jacksonville's priorities are going to be with those four high picks? Mike, I'll give you a quick a quick overview to kind of explain that, and then I'll give you the answer to your question. Urban Meyer, we've all seen him. We saw him down here for all those years at Florida. He was an hour away from here. You, we've all watched him at Florida and Ohio State and all over. Two things about Urban Meyer that really stood out. They are really fast, and they play really hard. Those are two things. Now, I know it's a new level, but his teams are really fast. Everywhere he's been, they've had fast teams, and they play really hard. The Jaguars have not been a fast team. They, they have not run well. They're, they're, if you think about it, you know, that 17 defense had some fast guys. Kelvin Smith and Miles Jack are fast linebackers. Jalen Ramsey's really fast. But top to bottom, it hasn't been a fast football team. So with that as a backdrop, I think they're going to try and find speed. Now, speed doesn't mean a two-receiver necessarily. It might mean a fast defensive tackle, right? But I think they're going to go find speed. So I would think at 25, the positions everybody talks about our defensive line, wide receiver, and safety. That's If you look at every mock, Mike, that's what everybody has the Jaguars mocking to do, either Morig to safety from TCU or, or Christian Barmore, the defensive lineman from Alabama, or one of them is a great great draft for receivers. So I think, to your question, look for guys that can run really fast. I don't think they're going to address the offensive line in those spots. They've got to address tight end because there's certainly a dearth there. But I would think receiver, one or two receivers, I would think quick D linemen is probably where you're going to look at. They've got to find some more fast receivers. They've got to find better defensive linemen. I think those are the spots that really jump off the page. Trent Balky as the general manager, he has a track record with his time running the show in San Francisco. What are you learning about his preferences early on in taking over the Jacksonville Jaguars? Yeah, I don't think we've learned a lot yet. I think in terms of – I think it's still got to filter out, Mike. Is, is Trent making these decisions – is Trent trying to fill the team that Urban wants him to fill? Uh, I think this team is going to be built in Urban Myers. It's going to be his identity, Mike. I don't think it's going to be Trent's. I think this is going to be Urban's team. Yet, Trent is the, is the guy charged with building this team in Urban's image. So, again, back to fast guys. A defensive lineman. Roy Robertson Harris is a defensive lineman from the Bears. They really like here. They're going to go to a 3-4, it seems like. So he'd be a three-friend, which they haven't had around here. They really like him. Malcolm Brown, the defensive, the nose guard out of New Orleans, is a guy they really like. Athletic guy for a nose guard position. Marvin Jones Jr., the receiver they signed from the Lions, is a guy that can really run. So I think the Urban Meyer fast guys, defensive linemen and fast players, Shaquille Griffin, the cornerback from Seattle, can really run. So they found fast guys and defensive linemen in free agency, and I think that's the way they're going to do in the draft too, Mike. I think it's going to be the same thing. So – Trent, Trent is a veteran NFL guy, and he's got a good eye for talent. But I think the best thing he brings to the party is he and Urban have become very close and are working very closely together to build this team in Urban Meyer's image. And, Mike, that's what I think it'll be. I really do. All right, so let me ask you this. Frank Frangie is the voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars. You're a Florida Gator. You've also been in the media and covered things you, you have an objective viewpoint, and yet you have a familiarity due to your, you know, your love for the Florida Gators. So I'm wondering this. What is the biggest area where you think Urban Meyer has to alter his coaching 
to go from college football and be successful to being successful in the National Football League? Two things. Number one, I don't buy the whole Urban can't handle losing thing, Mike, because it's a great question you asked. I, I don't buy that. Urban hated losing at the college level because of the significance of the losses. Remember, if you lose in college, for the most part, your chance to win the championship is over. If you lose a second time, your chance to win the championship is over. Well, in the NFL, every loss isn't as debilitating. So I think Urban understands that. He's a really bright guy. And I think he's really studied that and learned that before he ever said yes to the job. So I don't think he's got I think the biggest adjustment an offensive-minded college coach has to make when he goes to the NFL, not a defensive-minded guy, an offensive guy, is how do the, how do the RPO principles and the spread, because the college spread is very different than the pro spread, how does that fit in the NFL? Mike, that's the biggest adjustment. So we brought in Derek Bevel is the coordinator, Brian Schottenheimer is the quarterback, so both have been coordinators. And I think what they're working on now, and Derek even spoke to this a little bit, is how do we take what Urban likes to do at the collegiate level, which is spread the field horizontally, not just vertically, which is a lot of that RPO, a lot of that shotgun. How do we take that and NFLize it a little bit, if that makes some sense? And I think that's what they're working on. And I think they've, they've already come up with a, with a playbook. I think they've got an idea how they're going to do that. So I think the biggest adjustment is not that players are playing. Losing is losing. I don't think it's any of that. He's a very good coach. He's a very good special team mind. He's, a very, he's very attentive to detail. His guys play very, very hard. I don't think any of that's going to change, Mike. I think the biggest thing is how do you adjust what you like to do offensively at the college level and take it to the NFL level? Because I still think you're going to see some RPO. I still think you're going to see the field spread, Mike. I really do. The difference is they're going to do it the way NFL teams do it, and that's what he, Daryl Bevel, and Brian Schottenheimer are really working on. What's a fair goal for the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2021 after this upcoming draft and free agency and all of the changes and excitement? Boy, that's a question. If it's a number, I don't know the number. They won one last year. They lost 16 in a row to end the season. So can they be a four-win team? Can they be a seven-win team? Can they be better? I don't know. What I would say, though, to your question is, if you did a power poll of one through 32, and I hate this because I'm the voice of the team and I love this team, and I, I'm born and raised in this city, man. I, I watch these fans. It's a great fan base, and they it means so much to them. But if you do a power poll one through 32, let's be honest. The Jags have been 30 through 30 most of the time they've been here, or much of the time they've been here. That's just a reality. Maybe not in the early years, but if you take away the first five or six years, 95 through 2000, they have been in the lower fourth at the very least most of the time in power polls. I think the goal this year is to leave territory. I think instead of being 30 through 32, get to where when the power polls come out down the road, you're middle of the pack. Where, where you're a team that people think is still in the hunt for a playoff and we're in November. I think that's the, I think that's a reasonable goal. Without seeing who they draft, without seeing how Trevor – you've got to believe they're drafting Trevor, and you've got to believe he's going to be the quarterback from day one. I think we all, we're all guessing that. But he's still a rookie quarterback. You know, Peyton Manning, his first year in the league, only won three games. They were 3-13 and 13 his first year with the Colts. Andrew Luck's first year in the league, that team went from winning two games to winning 11 games. So the, so the precedent's all over the place. I would say get to where you're not the irrelevant team that's at the bottom of all the power poles. Get to where you're a middle-of-the-pack team. Does that mean you win five or six the first year? Does that mean you do better? I think, Mike, if they land in there, that's a pretty good first year for the Jaguars. I'll end it with this. Trevor Lawrence might be as transcendent, maybe the most transcendent player the Jaguars have ever had, and they're just getting ready to draft him. 
do you worry about the pressure on him before he ever takes a snap? You know, I don't. And I'll tell you why I don't. And maybe I'm being a bit of a homer when I say it. But I don't worry about the pressure. Number one, Mike, this kid's had it his whole life, man. He was the heralded recruit. He lost one game in high school in three or four years. He lost two games in college in 36 tries. He's known about the pressure. That's A. B, in today's day and age, Mike, everybody's got the pressure because there's websites and 10,000 cable channels and 10,000 editions of Sports Center, And we know more about Trevor Lawrence now than we ever knew about Andrew Luck when he came out. And we knew more about Luck than we ever knew about Manning when he came out, right? And so more attention now. Trevor's been dealing with this since he was a kid. I don't worry about the pressure affecting him. I, I think he is he's a very grounded kid. It seems like I don't know him, but he seems very grounded. I don't worry about that. The big question becomes what well, we don't know. We know Urban Meyer is a good coach. I, I can't believe for a minute. The, one of the things I like so much, Mike Vrabel, and you and I have had this talk online and offline, is the leader, man. Mm-hmm. Mike Vrabel is a leader. Those guys respond to him. Your football team is going to be good the whole time he's there. There may be some better teams than other teams. Don't you think Mike, he, Mike Vrabel oozes leadership? Don't Absolutely. you sense that? You're, you're around him all the time. Well, I think Urban Meyer's like that. I think he oozes leadership. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be very good. I just would be very surprised if he's not. The question becomes, what do you build around him? How quickly you can build it around him? How good is Balky building this team? How good will they be defensively? Those are the questions we don't know the answer to. But in terms of pressure and the expectations for Trevor in this new regime, man, I think these guys are ready for that. I'm excited. I, I don't know how good they'll be. There's going to be a buzz about the Jaguars because of, because of the first pick, because of Trevor, because of Urban. Man, we haven't had that in a while, Mike, so I'm excited about it. I really am. Frank Frangi, thanks so much for the time. Mike, anytime, buddy. Thanks for calling. Take care. Presented by Farm Bureau Health Plans, we thank you for listening to the OTP. Where the legends go, everybody knows it's our house. Fighting for Tennessee, making history. Greatness is meant to be ours now. Hey, we got Titan blood running through our veins.